Let's start this episode with a little task. Close your eyes and think of a well-known UK startup. Do you have one in mind? Monzo Bank, Benevolent AI and Deliveroo are all great examples. But let's make it a little bit more difficult. Think of a startup that was founded by a student. That's quite a lot harder, isn't it? But why is that the case? A global analysis around student startups revealed that 9 out of 10 schools with the highest VC funding were in the US, and in Reuters rankings of the world's most innovative universities, 46% were from the US and only 6% from the UK. But UK universities are known for their great reputation and excellent education, topping university league tables worldwide. It's an ecosystem that attracts the brightest students in Europe and internationally. And surely those bright students must have great ideas to innovate and power new economies. So what does it lag behind in the startup game? These were the questions raised when I read these statistics. What is actually the reality? How is it really like to be a student founder in the UK? And how can we, as an entity, improve and help students kickstart their ideas? So there I was, looking at an article that intrigued me, and I wanted to get to the bottom of this. And this is what this episode is about. The journey of me and my co-host Melina, figuring out what is actually happening with the UK student founder community. I'm Sarah, and welcome to Kickstart Diaries. Start your computations. So where do I even start with this question? There are so many ways to tackle it. There has to be a starting point. So I opened my laptop and tried to find some student founders, or at least some people with some form of experience. And after a few cold calls on LinkedIn and reaching out to about like 30 people, I finally got in touch with two amazing student founders, Kieran and George. So George is the founder of Spirus, a respiratory analytics company. It's very cool, but I'll let him introduce himself and explain what his company does. So my name is George Winfield. I founded Spirus back in 2018 um, off the back end of my master's where we're developing new and innovative respiratory technologies and analytics. I did product design engineering at Loughborough. And so from that end, I finished at Loughborough and then came down to Imperial College London, where I did an MRes in medical device design and entrepreneurship, where the project was to develop uh, paper-based sensors to monitor breathing. And then all of a sudden, we just started Spirus during the time I was studying. And here we are now, two years later. So in conclusion, George is a very smart, nice Northern guy who miraculously predicted the COVID pandemic and innovated paper-based sensors that uh, monitors your breathing patterns. Obviously, we have a thing or two to learn from this guy. As for Kieran, uh, I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Kieran. Uh, I am currently wearing a few different hats in my respective startup ecosystems. I am a program manager at the Aspect Accelerator, which is a corporation of 10 universities running a social impact accelerator program focused around commercializing social science research. 
I am also a kind of a program consultant and manager at the Industry 4.0 uh, Talent Academy, which is a, think of it like a coding bootcamp, but we focus on IoT, uh, technical development, hardware, and cloud engineering. I also advise startups, mentor on different academic accelerator programs. Great. I now have two knowledgeable industry experts that can answer my question. But where should we start exploring a question this big? So let's begin broad about the role of the universities. How can they improve entrepreneurship education and support student enterprises? In a research named The Emerging Ecosystems for Student Startups, it has been found that there is a significant relationship between entrepreneurship education and outcomes. There are other evidence showing that students learn better from peers rather than from business competitions or from websites. This sparked the question of whether collaboration between students can foster new ideas. And so I asked Kieran about this question, and this is what he said. Quite an interesting one around this interdisciplinary piece. And so in particular, because of the batch culture of education, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, and I do think like the future of education is coming. I'm very excited to see how COVID like kicks these very old university institutions who have got these accreditations and like really proves why they deserve them. Um, but this idea that you sit in the same room with the same people for four years or three years or eight years, depending on what you're doing, really kind of confuses me. Because the opportunity there for you to be going into these different departments and going in and learning from different people, that's what I think like the future of education should really be centered around. And an example an academic gave me recently, I'm very impressed that an academic gave it to me, was this whole idea that the, the, the future of interdisciplinary learning is what's going to really create innovation in, in society. And so you have um, his example was like, uh, there's a student on a midwifery course really focused on like kind of child delivery and like, it's still a huge cause for, um, for like, uh, uh, prenatal deaths in, in certain parts of the world. How do you, how do you get them to be talking with an engineer who can talk to them a little bit more about the materials that are used in there? And how do you involve then a material scientist who can talk to you even more foundationally about like the chemicals that are involved in building this? And how do you then talk to a manufacturing student who focuses on this and, and a fashion student who thinks differently? And at that intersection of all of these different things, there's so much innovation to be had. But by putting us in these rooms and then telling us in that, this batch thing of like, you're between the ages of this and this, and you're going to be learning this module with this lecturer, with these people, and you'll probably be sitting next to the same people for the rest of your academic career. There's so much opportunity wasted in those rooms, in those moments. And that's what like, that's why I love the entrepreneurial ecosystem at least, because it's actually not just business people in the room, or it's not just technologists in the room. It's really found, foundationally at its core, it's so diverse. And that's when amazing ideas happen. And that's when amazing people meet other amazing people and, and move the needle forward in an industry. After hearing what Kieran said, it really resonated with my experience. I actually don't remember the last time I talked to a humanities student. And imagine if I did. It would help me build my context in my worldview and gain a different perspective. And I think George's journey demonstrates that. I do think in the UK, we have a tendency to specialise quite early. And then probably the reason why you only stick to what you know in terms of your immediate surroundings. I mean, I came to Imperial as a postgrad, so I was probably a lot, well, not a lot older, but I was older than, say, the incoming undergrad. Uh, and so I did have a slightly different mindset. You know, I'd worked a couple of years in industry as well, which has started to shape 
my my mindset where I was solely uh, from an engineering background. And the only reason I took the master's was because I wanted something that was half research and half business. So that was just something quite unique about the master's I undertook was that part of the course was we had to develop a business um, case study around the technology we were researching and developing. And can we start to put together a, a startup enterprise plan? Going into that that masters, you know, there was only four of us on that course in the the entirety of it. There was myself, there was Ben from Canada, Teddy from South Africa, and Christine from France. And there was no way you could ever skip a uh, a morning because uh, <laughs> unfortunately everyone knew who was on our yeah. courses. And so you know, we were such a t- like a close knit group of total different backgrounds. Ben was a, a mechanical engineer from the the oil sands in Canada. Teddy was working on a cardiac um, device uh, and Christine was a chemist. And so we just came from a, a total different area of backgrounds. And I was second youngest in that. Teddy was 32 and Ben 27 and Christine was the youngest. So we were just um, slightly more mature, shall we say, when we came to do that master's. George's journey helped him identify what he was interested in, which led him to apply to his master's to explore his interest in integrating engineering to commercial solutions. And I think in that sense, you go into university with a well-defined purpose. And I think that's what we're lacking, the commercial mindset to identify social problems. So how can universities do better in cultivating this mindset? Like two real foundational pillars to that entrepreneurial journey at the start, there's the commercial stuff, working with businesses selling and then there's that technology front and technology aspect in in the u.s because of the kind of the culture around in particular like technology education basically everyone can rock up to a cs module in in year one like i have friends who who specialize in psychology in the states and they still went and did like especially if you're like stanford and mit and harvard like it's like the place to be is to try and break into that cs building and learn something so i think like there's an educational aspect that starts also at university but like even significantly younger and making sure that everyone has real access to stem if the universities are trying to make actionable difference it's increase the number of people who can be technologists through any kind of processes and practices whether that makes it like um, mandatory coding programs or like make optional programs more accessible um, whether it's like growing opening up your engineering departments and not having them really like kind of closed off siloed buildings on the corner of campus um, and then there's the front for basically everyone else who should have the confidence to to manage a team and who should have the ability to identify problems whether it's in the biggest corporates or in the smallest customer customer kind of world and be able to solve them and come up with solutions and George's experience resonates with this. I like everything. I like to get involved in everything. I was predominantly sport, but um, I like to go along to all the pitching sessions and listen to what businesses people were creating. Well, before I even started uh, Spirus, is we, we took the time to go out and listen and network, and particularly when our course was allowed to incorporate into the business school, which was quite a unique factor for a bioengineering-based course, was to liaise with, with business students uh, and hear their perspectives, because really that's quite a big, parity between the two is that most of the business school students will never ever interface or have a a project alongside the bioengineering student and vice versa so that's where you get the real technical co-founders along the business-minded um, individuals and so that was a a real interesting part of the the factor of, of when we could start taking on those courses and we could start sort of meshing into those networks networks that's the key word of this episode I think the whole point of interdisciplinary learning, collaborating with different people that are out of your comfort zone, are all ways to grow your network and meet different people. And that's the key to developing your commercial mindset. 
And I think George has a few pieces of good advice on this. Again, it's your network. And it will probably keep cropping up as a, as a fundamental because most people are quite happy to sit by the computers and design a website and, and try and sit, sit behind other things. But, you know, someone else out there has done this four times over, got a T-shirt and, and got the scars to, to tell you. Uh, and people are more than willing to provide that. And just, just to be open and honest, you know, don't waste anyone's time. Just say, look, I'd love to ask you a question about your experiences in X, Y, and Z. Do you have five minutes? Because I want to try. Also get involved in programs that do have dedicated mentors. I mean, for for instance, Imperial, there's the IBMS scheme uh, and provide their expertise. And, you know, you won't imagine what people have gone on to achieve and do in their careers. And all of a sudden it starts branching out and branching out. And what you'll realize is the ecosystem is actually quite small for a place like London or for us as well, going back to it, you know, the biggest for us as well came off London and partners, um, which is a business accelerator for London based businesses and the growth program where I got introduced to Tatiana uh, Delamonte was a senior director at GSK and also uh, professor Jackie Hunter, CV, who was a, who's now a director at uh, Belevin AI, which is one of the 15 unicorns of the UK. You just think, well, I'd never ever get to sit down with someone who's the chief exec of a billion pound company. Most people in that caliber will sit down with you if they like you or they find stuff interesting. It's not, I'll give you my time. It's, do I find it interesting? And am I wasting my time? I I believe anyway. So I just reached out to as many different networks as I, I possibly could. Okay, so now you have the network, you've spoken to different people, you know what your problem is and you want to tackle it. But where are you going to find the money to do it? The UK is Europe's leading startup nation, attracting around $11 billion in venture capital funding in 2019. But if we look at specific funds that are targeting student ventures, there aren't that many in the UK. In fact, there is only one dedicated venture capital fund that only invests in student-led ventures. And in terms of grant funding in UK universities, almost half of the institutions say they don't offer any grants to support student enterprises. And the only UK university that offered over £500,000 in funding was Nottingham. So could VCs do a better role in promoting and engaging students And should universities dedicate more capital and money into student enterprises? Kieran had some thoughts. 110%. I've done my own research projects into the US markets for uh, venture capital, in particular targeted at students. um, You have funds that are specifically dedicated to um, students. You have VCs that have student-centric and academic-centric arms. You have companies like Contrary Capital, which run accelerator programs targeted at students. Universities mm-hmm. building funds, like one of the School of Economics has recently partnered with a with Houghton Street Ventures, which is a fund designed focused at LSE graduates and then current students and alumni. I think the UK is definitely taking the right steps to doing that. It's as you said before, it's a, it's a culture thing. It's like how do we get more students excited about this? Because you talk to I've spoken to researchers and undergraduates in the US, and they're like, yeah, of course I want to build a business, and here's how I would do it. And you are, and you are talking to students in the UK and in France and in Germany. And it's like, this sounds like an amazing thing. I wouldn't know where to start. And so, and like the, the kind of ability to fill in the gaps and know that this is accessible and attainable, right? If you thought back to, if you think of your, your university, like who are the most famous alumni 
Um, you might have a couple of very old, famous people who, which like new departments are named after and schools are named after. You go to Harvard and Yale and, and Stanford and MIT. The most famous people are like dropouts, but the most famous people are people who dropped out and built the biggest companies that the world has ever seen. I think that's the mindset shift that stops between students who are here and don't have that many role models to look up to. I think Kieran raises a very good point here. The UK startup ecosystem is still maturing and is not as well developed as the US. In the US, there are very famous companies such as Facebook, Snapchat and Google who have all come out of the ecosystem very successful. And this gives investors and VCs confidence that the current US framework works well because there are so many successful startups that come out of it. And so they're more inclined to invest in riskier ideas. In the US, failure is often seen as a badge of honour. The more times you fail, the better. But in the UK, investors are more risk averse. So what does George think about this? I think that there is plenty of capital out there. And I think it depends how... If you're trying to compare it to the US, you know, it's a, it's a very different landscape. We're going from the fish tank to the ocean in terms of scale and comparison of like what's available. And that's why you see like the Y Combinator companies just walking out of their tech demo, tech demo day with X amount of million in seed funding when um, over here it's a, a bit more risk. And I, I think the opportunities do come out there. And I think it is easily available, especially with some of the high net worth individuals and angel funding here in the UK to take I keep going back to that SEIS and EIS funding scheme because it is such a, a unique factor that you won't really get anywhere else. I think George makes some very good points here. The objectives of VCs is to find the next unicorn, companies that are valued at a billion dollars. That's quite a high target to hit. Unless you are ready to tackle these expectations, VC funding is not the best option. It's like going on a treadmill when you can't even walk. And especially for students, it's most likely that it is your first time doing this. So maybe other options such as securing grants, winning competitions, or even going the traditional way of securing and convincing your three Fs, family, friends and fools, to invest in your company. George elaborates on this idea. VC funding is not always going to be the best option for some startups. You know, if you want to organically grow, if you're a service-based one, for instance, if you're manufacturing uh, medical masks okay it's a service there you're going to invest in the machinery and then you're going to sell the end end product and we want to hit x amount of million in, in four years and we just want to survive off that as a company there'll be some high net worth individual out there who's done it four times over he'll be quite happy to, to help you along the way and show you show you the ropes vice versa you're coming up with the new jet rocket propulsion for elon musk's spacex okay then now the funding's a different kettle game and that's why I think, you know, for us as well, we were pivoting and twisting and trying to find out where we wanted to position Spirus in the market. If you end up taking the wrong kind of deal for the wrong amount, it's going to be very quickly that you're going to realize that um, you're not going to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, you've got upset investors, you've got upset employees, and it's all going to turn around to you and say, well, that was the plan, wasn't it? Um, so you do need to have a really firm understanding of what you want the business to be. So far, we've covered that the lack of support in student enterprises is because of risk-averse VCs from the lack of role models in the industry. Universities not promoting interdisciplinary learning, which stunts the students developing their commercial mindset. 
but we've also established that there is enough capital. So what if I was a student who has had previous entrepreneurship experience? I validated my great idea, which my customers cannot live without. And I have a firm vision that this is going to be the next unicorn. My next question is whether there is a stigma or prejudice against student founders because of the lack of experience and age in the UK. Kieran has some thoughts on this. I do strongly believe that like there's a lot of this, not necessarily positive, but like a fake it till you make it culture and just like trying not to fall into the common pit holes is a great way to just keep your head above the water until you get that product market fit, you get that traction, you get those customers engaging with you regularly. I see very commonly founders who are looked down upon because of their age. And that is both internal in in, in like a university environment, in, in an entrepreneurship environment. You have a 40 something year old person who's done a lot of amazing work. And then you have a a 20-something-year-old person who is learning to code and has found a problem that they want to solve and want to work on. And there's definitely like tension there. And then when you're trying to sell something to a corporate and you have no real corporate experience, like it can be very, very tricky and challenging to be in those rooms. Uh, and I've, I've seen that firsthand. So there was a really, really cool um, chatbot startup that was on our program a couple of years ago. Uh, and the founder was um, was a really, really nice guy from Liverpool named Scott. And uh, he was a medic by practice. He, he had been studying medicine for like four years and went to one of the early kind of conferences because um, his chatbot was supposed to train doctors on how to have patient interactions. Um, right now, that's done in, in person through simulation. So you, the university pays actors to come in and cough and be pretend to be sick and... <laughs> And you, you maybe have a couple of hours in your entire university degree to interact with in, in this setting with a simulation of a sick patient. And you need to try and coax and understand and build relationships and rapport in very quick, very high pressure situations. He was like, you can, you can repeat that in a much more gamified educational way through chatbot experiences and interacting with a, with a virtual patient. So it's called AI patient, which is recently rebranded. And um, most doctors in these conferences who are speaking are significantly older very um very commonly white men who speak in these conferences and they don't do that much like clinical facing activities anymore they haven't studied medicine in the same same practical sense as a young 20 something year old student and um scott had some fun stories about pitching this business and it was just decades away from from what these guys had remembered of trying to trying to learn patient interactions and trying to learn how to build rapport and that's not to say that they were experts by any means because they've probably been out of that setting for a long time but trying to get an advisor into this into this team proved very challenging because you're looking for someone who is really fundamentally still a very disruptive thinker but has the years to open other doors to open their networks and stuff you can play the two against each other you can either play naive uh, and state that you're trying to learn as much as you can and, and either you know what you're doing and the other party on the other side of the desk think they can take advantage but you can use it to your advantage as well I just think you've got to you've got to start somewhere. Look, haven't you? They started somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. Uh, and as long as it's credible and you're taking the time and you're developing the purpose of the business, and I think that's quite key. Is you're developing the business. It's not a hobby. It's not you're taking the time out to to do this on the side and you're really trying to give it a good go. It's no. It's definitely that. It's definitely not making it a hobby and going forward with it as a business. You know, people take risk in you as long as they can see you taking the risk. If if they can see that you're just, um, you know, you're not developing this with the seriousness that it should be, then why should they? It's not a hobby. That really stuck to me. Starting your own business is not an easy thing. It's really challenging. And I think any student going into it needs to know this. Instead of worrying about the label on yourself, 
Prioritize the time to build a great product that investors can't wait to invest in. If you truly believe the impact of your idea, it should motivate you and become your top priority. And after that, juggling academics and studying doesn't seem like a very big task. I think I painted a very gloomy picture of what the UK startup landscape is, but actually, it's not all that bad. There are lots of dedicated accelerator programs just for students, <clears throat> aka Kickstart, that helps to mystify entrepreneurship and help you with the journey. Although the ecosystem might not be as mature as other nations, there are opportunities if you look for them, and any great idea will get the attention it deserves. To end my research, I wanted to ask Kieran and George why they think students should act upon their ideas and become entrepreneurs, and why is now a good time to start. Here is what they said. I think wanting to become an entrepreneur and solve problems is a very specific mindset. And what I like to do is let people know that the, like, the barriers to entry in like, the history of the human race, like the barriers to entry to really understanding technology and, and building businesses, like the level, of, uh, the level of infrastructure, the level of literature, the level of networks that are available today have never existed. And so if, you're ever, if you were ever going to try or even consider trying, like now is the best time, especially when you're in university ecosystems because there is access to talent, there's so many pitching competitions, there's so much money just being left around, like hundreds of pounds here, thousands of pounds there. Um, and you just need to go ask for it and say, like, I have this idea, I want to go solve this problem. Um, mm. That being said, I, I, as going back to my first point, like there's definitely a right mindset. People have to be a little bit crazy. You have to be ready to take that jump. Um, take that risk. But as I said, like you're in university for a reason that there's probably, you don't, it's unlikely you have children. It's unlikely you have huge amounts of debt that you have to worry about right now. Um, it's a really good time to just, to just try and solve a problem. And the, for me, the upside has always been like the exponential growth and the opportunity of like learning new skills. Um, for me, it's like, if I'm positioning it to someone who I'm like, you could be an amazing founder. It's like the opportunity cost of you spending the next year, maybe getting one internship, um, maybe going to a couple of extra events, maybe getting drunk a couple more times with your friends versus building something that could fundamentally change the world or change your life at the very least. That is a very easy opportunity cost to choose because there's so much potential for you to create a real impact. And that's what drives most people in our age, right? It's like, how do I make the most impact with my, with my time on this earth? The UK is going through a very interesting time. And I'll go back to it and say that most people will see it as a, you know, a hindrance of what's happening. And, you know, we won't be as strong as where we're going, but there's always an opportunity in, in that going forward. And I think the UK, as, you know, if we're going to focus on student founders, I truly stand by the fact that entrepreneurs will be the one to be able to help get out of um, the recession-based uh, part of that through job creation. And um, we'll find no better time in their life to give it a give it a crack of the whip if we're talking about entrepreneurship. And I do think that, you know, it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So what? If, uh, if I've learned and developed, then great. After listening to Karen and George, it made me think of Nike's slogan, just do it. The phrase that touches our heartstrings because we are innately afraid of taking risks and a leap of faith. As a student listening to this, the potential of the new, fresh ideas that can empower other people and even nations through hard times motivates me. So if you always had that lingering idea in your mind that can fix a problem, do it. You're young. Use that to your advantage and take a gamble. It might be worth it. 
Thank you, Kieran and George, for being guests on this podcast. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. All their details will be linked to this episode. Next episode, we will follow up and explore other successful startup nations, Israel and Estonia. What can we learn from these cities on how they accelerate new ideas? Stay tuned.